All right, this is Chris with Brother Speed Podcast, where we discuss black LGBT issues and topics. And today I have an extremely special guest to bring some insight into a serious issue facing our community today. Um, our guest today is a New York-based creative director, producer, actor, and choreographer with over 10 years' experience in the digital film production, theater, and choreography. He's worked with a slew of mediums that includes directing and choreography for off-Broadway, regional and international shows, along with music videos, indie shorts, commercials, and documentaries. And this one particular documentary, we invite him to the show to discuss his latest, which is called Party Boy, Black Diamonds and Ice Castles. Love the title. Uh, Party Boy actually features real stories of people who are thinking of using methamphetamine and also deals with the effects, usage, and surviving drug addiction. And it also explores gay men, in particular men of color, with five boroughs within the five boroughs of New York City, are suddenly inundated with the opportunities to, quote, uh, party and play. We've heard that term before, but are quick to discover a future of uncertainty and potential ailments that include depression, addiction, liver damage, stroke, and even psychosis. So this particular cinematic portrayal grants an unprecedented voyeuristic insight into a taboo subject and brings awareness to all points of view. So I am very happy to introduce Mr. Michael Rice. How you doing, Mr. Rice? Thank you so much. I'm doing quite well. And yourself? I'm doing great, doing great. You know, um, you know what struck me about this particular film, you know, because uh, I saw the, the trailer, and I, I was completely blown away, you know, because it's something that kind of went under the nose of many people. For myself, I really honestly did not know that it really affected our community like this. How did you get into this particular subject, first off? Okay, well, first, how I got into it wasn't, it wasn't something I necessarily sought out. Um, I basically was affected uh, by it personally, and what I mean by that is, is that um, I had a few friends who ended up getting addicted uh, to crystal meth, and at the time I had no idea exactly what it was, but I knew something in their personality and their behavior and their uh, their physical body, you know, structure started changing, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. But um, when I was first kind of like introduced to the whole uh, crystal meth, Tina Ice, that whole realm of uh, crystal meth was actually from geo social sites like Jack Grinder, um, A for A, BGC, uh, which stands for Black Gay Chat, around 2011, 2012. And I started seeing certain jargon and acronyms pop up um, that I was totally unfamiliar with, like uh, capital P and T. Um, people would use words and um, if, the, if the word had a T in it, they would make it a capital T. And people started using uh, terminology like, do you party? Do you party? And, you know, being naive at first, of course, I was like, okay, yeah, I'll party when I'm not tired or if I have free time. And people were like, no, 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 I don't mean that kind of party. I mean, do you party? Like, do you, do you smoke Tina? And I was like, what is Tina? Now, I heard of Mary Jane. I've heard of weed. I heard of, you know, <laughs> What is Tina? I'm, you know, I know only Tina. I know is Tina Turner. Right. You know? <laughs> and, um, and so once it was broken down to me exactly what it was, uh, I mean, I'm not really a person into you know that scene anyway. I don't judge, but I'm I'm not into that. And I say, you know, no, thank you. And so as time went on, um, this is 2012, went to 2013. I started seeing things starting to happen and shifting. Different people I knew, uh, their attitudes, their behavior, their physical appearance. 
people were saying, oh, that person's on Tina, that person's on Ice, that person's on Chrissy. And these were, you know, street terminologies for crystal meth. And I had a friend who uh, had got a scholarship uh, to New York City and was working as a dancer and totally lost the scholarship. Um, he had no motivation. Uh, he started um, uh, living with someone who was a some kind of club promoter or something, and this year I know they lost their scholarship, and I didn't see them for months, and the next time I saw them, their whole appearance, they were emaciated. Oh, wow. And they were kind of ashamed to uh, confront me or, or to speak to me, and when I kind of found out what was going on, then I said, okay, that's crystal meth. Okay, you know, and then, you know, that TV show called Breaking Bad, yeah. I started seeing that, and I started seeing a correlation, like, oh, okay, that's that, uh, that's that. And I started seeing that connection, but I thought it was weird because it was happening in the black community. I, I did some research, and I knew it had its popularity within the white community, especially the white community of New York City, um, in places like Chelsea, uh, certain places in lower Manhattan. But I never knew it to be in the urban area. I mean, the most you would get black guys talking about is, you know, they smoke weed or you drink or, you know, you play spades or something like that. I never really heard too much about people doing crystal meth. I did hear people at times doing cocaine or, you know, coke, but I didn't see anything to where it was like ravaging people. Like, I'm sure you understand, like back in the day, like the late 80s, 90s, we had like the crack era. Yes. So I'm in my 30s, so I knew what that looked like. I remember watching New Jack City as a little kid. Yes. You know? I remember watching Boys in the Hood or Men in Society, you see the crackhead, or you see the, you know, and we knew we don't want to be a part of that. Right, you know? right. But I think that this new generation of millennials, they didn't grow up seeing that. And so when it started to come into, especially, I think, well, I'm mostly speaking for New York City. Yeah. But when it started to come into the neighborhood, especially in this, uh, in this, in this way, um, I believe it took a lot of people by surprise and they were trying something. They saw it as a party drug. Let me try it. Let me feel good for a moment and let me let it go. But what a lot of people didn't realize that they could not let it go. And after seeing people devastated by it, I just said to myself as a certain, as as a, as a mid thirties black gay male, that's a working professional. I feel it's my duty to speak on it. I feel it's my duty as an artist to do something about it. And so this is the lane that I chose uh, to partake in, which was create a documentary, which is not so much about judging, but about creating a dialogue yeah. and exposing so that the young ones, you know, even the ones are not so young, but so, so someone can say, you know what, I saw that online and I heard about the terminology, I don't want to be a part of it. And I felt to myself, even if I did um, good by one person, you know, um, from them seeing that and say, you know what, I chose to make a different move, you know, and I feel like I've made done my job. You know, um, because sometimes sometimes you really don't realize things until it's just, it kind of is brought to you at home as the same case that happened to you. Is that something that you're now? Is it something that you're seeing a lot of black people within the LGBT community? Because it's again, it's one of those type of topics that you really just don't see. You have to really kind of pierce into. It. It's not like something that's always talked about or either brought very obvious. Because 
In most cases, drugs kind of bring a certain level of shame. Do Are people much more aware of it now, or am I just the only one that's still under a rock when it comes to this type of topic? Well, I think people are starting to become aware of it. Um, I definitely know I've had a slew of people come to me and say, Michael, I had no earthly idea. Majority of the people that have told me they had no idea idea was either our straight counterparts or um, it would be people uh, in the LGBT um, black and Latino community that was either married and kind of sequestered in their own world and, you know, their own lane, or they're in a community um, outside of New York City that may not, you know, have that, you know, that stark um, hit yet from crystal meth. But from what I've researched and seen in L.A., San Francisco, uh, Atlanta, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Philly, and New York City alone, those cities alone, also in Houston, from uh, I hear from, because I'm originally from, from Houston, Texas, but also uh, from Houston, from some of my friends, they're telling me about, oh, they're seeing a lot of party and play, P&P, Tina, and now this is becoming a dialogue. And I think for especially millennials, uh, people that, you know, turn 21 from the age to, I mean, from the year 2000 to now, I think the oldest millennial is like, what, 38, 39? And so I really feel like it's in that bracket of people between the late 30s and like uh, very early 20s that are single, that are going to clubs, that are going to raves, that are going to events. And I feel like those people are probably um, maybe the more informed, especially in those major cities like Atlanta and Philly and New York City, where this is starting to really run rampant. Wait a minute. So you named a lot of places. You named a lot of cities. So is this something that's truly heavy in those cities? L.A., uh, Atlanta, Texas, all those places are truly inundated with Tina? Well, from, from the information that I've gotten so far, as far as the urban demographic, um, and now, they're, they, now those cities that I've mentioned, uh, they have been heavy as far as the white community has been concerned, definitely. But recently in the past four years, the black community, especially in Atlanta, D.C., and New York City, and Philly, have really been having a lot of infiltration of crystal meth into their urban communities. And, you know, the urban communities, especially, I can speak for New York, Bronx, Harlem, uh, certain parts of Queens, Brooklyn, you know, uh, East New York, you know, those places within, you know, those uh, boroughs of New York are heavily becoming um, filled with young adults who are uh, becoming so inundated with crystal meth, it's starting to become uncanny. It's starting to become unreal. I, I'm, I'm hearing so many reports about people who know people that overdosed or that were found in bathtubs, that were found at sex parties, that were found all in meth men dead. And we're talking about people who are 23, 26, 31. You know, these are young gay black men that are dying from this addiction of crystal meth. And, you know, the crazy part about it is that, and the reason I really, you know, wanted to put this documentary out there is to raise awareness, but also for our community to, to do something for our kids. I feel right. like as a, as a gay black male of a certain age, I feel like it becomes almost a part of your responsibility to try to give back. And sometimes, especially in this age, everything is so much about me, 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 and selfies and you know, how I look and everything's about me. But also, too, people have to realize we need to turn the mirror around and also, 
you know, see what's about other people too. Right. You know, and going out right. there helping. But yes, as um, to answer your question, it is starting to become very popular in Houston. It's starting to become very popular. It is very popular in Atlanta. It's very popular in New York City, Philly, and D.C. You know, what's the strange part about that's kind of killing me is thinking to myself, okay, well, where is it really coming from? Is it something that's really more crossing over from the white community, is now entering into the clubs? Is it now entering into just certain neighborhoods of low income? Where is it being introduced, do you know? Well, as you know from, uh, if we even look back at the Reagan era, we weren't having black folks come out of the civil rights movement in the uh uh, 60s and late 70s and then all of a sudden we have crack in here right. right someone came and brought those drugs into our community as you and I both know yeah, someone came in the Reagan era during the Clinton administration and even now you know black folks from Baltimore black folks from Compton black folks from Brownville, New York black folks from Third War Houston are not taking planes to Columbia are not taking planes to Honduras and getting these large quantities right. of them back in. They're being infiltrated into our neighborhood. Um, but speaking specifically to Crystal Meth, uh, I can definitely speak for New York City and the research that I've done in the past year and a half. Um, and this is based on my theory, but also based off of facts and statistics that are steady coming and slowly. Because this is a new thing with all these young black people taking crystal meth. And the statistics and things are still being calculated and things are still starting to be put out there online. Um, but one of the, one of the um, uh, foundations of why this has infiltrated, especially the urban area of New York, uh, in the Bronx, Harlem, and Brooklyn, um, a lot of people have said that you started to get a, a lot of gay white men that started using crystal meth in these rave parties uh, and these sex parties and things of that nature. And it became very popular within the gay white community um, in the mid to late 80s, the late 90s, and the early 2000s uh, for a simple fact, especially during that earlier time, um, a lot of um, gays were suffering with HIV, right. were suffering with depression, and a mentality came in that you're going to die anyway, so you might as well die partying. Wow, wow. Having a sense, having a sense of euphoria, having, having a sense of uh, invincibility, you know, and the white community the past 30 years are seeing so, start to see how, how damaging crystal meth was becoming to them. You start to get a lot of people, uh, white people that were stopped you know, participating in crystal meth, a lot of them started getting, um, seeking counseling and, and uh, getting help from substance abuse counselors and things of that nature, getting them, weaning themselves off. But they still had that um, few people that were still using and that were still dealing. But now their clientele has dropped. So now they needed another demographic to try to, you know, bring in another level of clientele. Wow. And from yeah. what I hear from from large quantities of people that I've interviewed is that a lot of the well-to-do, you know, white gay men who were on Wall Street, who were working corporate or who had plenty of money to live in lower Manhattan or Soho or Chelsea, um, these certain neighbor, well-to-do neighborhoods in Manhattan would start, um, would start buying black escorts for, you know, obvious reasons, sexual right. reasons, in right. that nature. And what they would do, because a lot of the black escorts weren't familiar with uh, crystal meth, and the code word they would use for that is Tina. 
uh, they saw it as if, as if it would be something that wasn't going to be that harmful or detrimental. And a lot of them were paid to use it because if they were paid to have unprotected sex, they would get more money. If they were paid to participate in drug use, they would get more money. So what happened here is that we started to get a large quantity of black escorts and young black men who were, you know, of course, escorting and, 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 and going to the realm of prostitution, but also now being introduced to crystal meth, not knowing how addictive it is. But when those white men finish using those black escorts, where are these young black men going back to? I'm kind of curious when it comes to the the number of deaths that has occurred under Tina. What are those numbers? Do you know? Right now, they still have statistics coming in. I've been uh, closely engaged with the um, um, uh, the Gay Men's Health Center, the uh, Bedford Stuyvesant uh, Center for Family Health, and a lot of these statistics are still coming in, and that's why it's such. It's so devastating because right now we're we're in this uh, place of purgatory. We're in this like place of unknown. We know something's going on. We're trying to get a, a hold on to it, but we don't quite have the logistics of everything yet. We just know that our black kids are starting to die, overdose, and use crystal meth. Gotcha. And this is where I'm coming into play. You know, even for myself. I mean, I'm not someone who works for the CDC or NASA or any of these or any of these. Um, research uh, companies, but the research they do have about gay black men mostly deals with HIV statistics, uh, deals with um, cocaine and crack era. We're talking about something that's 15 to 20 years ago. So we're talking about crystal meth being in correlation with um, the number of deaths of millennials, like like, let's say in Brooklyn or in New York alone. Those numbers are still coming in. People are still gathering because I, I had no platform really to start investigating too much. I had to go based off hearsay, experiences of tons of people who have experienced people who have died, passed away, or are addicted to crystal meth, and what little information they do have online with the number of deaths in the black and Latino LGBTQ community. Now, here's the thing. We can talk about the white community, and there is a slew of 25 years worth of data. Wow. But when it comes to the black, gay, black and Latino gay community, or I should say queer community, it's very, very, like, non-existent. Wow. Because we didn't have that problem. You know, um, there's information about blacks and the use of crack cocaine, but not young blacks in these urban areas with crystal meth. Wow, wow. So, I mean, so basically when it came down to starting your film, um, I do want to kind of get an understanding in terms of, well, how did you get the participants to actually uh, contribute with your film? Along with your research, where you, did you find uh, these particular um, participants along this research trail? Did you actually find it along them? Or how did they come, how did you actually come across meeting these people? Okay, well, 
came about it at first is that, and you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I, I tend, I'm very transparent. Um, as a single gay black male, uh, I do participate in, you know, Tinder, you know, looking at line, uh, some of the geosocial sites, yeah. um, like Tinder, like um, Jack, things of this nature. I'm not on it all the time, but when I am on it, I would see those terms, those um, PNP and do you do Tina and do you party? And it struck my curiosity. And um, one of the main things besides seeing a friend of mine um, go through the ravage of crystal meth addiction, I came upon a 19 year old who was trying to talk to me. And I told him, I said, you know, you're, you seem like a really handsome young man, but you're too young for me. I prefer somebody 30 and up. Uh, but I said, uh, why do you have a PMP? Are you participating? and Tina or Crystal met, and they told me they did. And I said, how were you introduced to it? They said they met a guy online, um, actually six months after they graduated high school. Wow. They met a guy online who invited them to their house uh, to have sex and to smoke weed, and he went over there, he had sex, he smoked weed, and when they finished smoking weed, he asked them, does he party and play? And um, at first he didn't know what it was, he asked them, does he do Tina? But he slam, he had no idea what that is. And he said, it's just a party drug, it's kind of like ecstasy. You feel good, it makes you feel good for a second, it makes you feel horny, which is another aspect um, how sex and uh, crystal meth correlate together. Um, and one man said no, and he said, well, try Tina, it'll make you feel good. And he said, it's kind of like weed, but it just makes you want to ha have better sex. Wow. Of course, the 19-year-old was unaware. He was uninformed. He had no idea of any of the street terminologies for crystal meth. Um, he felt like if he would have told him it was crystal meth, he probably would have taken him. But because he told him it was Tina, he thought it was another version of saying Mary Jane. God. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Okay. You see how things get misconstrued. Absolutely. You're not really informed. Absolutely. And he said he, part, he, part, he, he uh, partook in the drug. And he said next thing you knew, next thing he knew, he woke up in the morning and he was having sex with someone and there was no condom usage involved whatsoever and at that point he said he didn't care he just cared about how good the sex felt and that day he didn't go home for almost two days and he continually had people in the same place where he was at when other people were coming over continually having unprotected sex with him and I asked him would he be interested in telling his story he said he was and he said he, he did and um me working with him in the process, that's where it started as far as getting people to um, interview. Um, he said he would you know, be interested and I spoke to him and I ended up not putting him in the film. Uh, the only reason I did that, I chose to do that is because I felt like he was so young and just getting started. Yeah. And I actually, I actually, I actually spoke, in you know, speaking honestly with his mother, which was a weird concept. This is how I met your son. Uh, but they were working on, you know, with their insurance and getting him some help and things of that nature. So I was really happy about that. I haven't spoke to him in almost about two months. Yeah. But from the last time I did speak to him, uh, they were on that journey and they were on that process. But it started from there. So from that young man, I started talking to other people and I started seeking out other people that were saying they party and play and just boldly asking them, would you be interested? I'm a filmmaker. I want to talk about this. I'm, I'm, in, I'm intrigued in why you started doing crystal meth. Wow, know? wow, wow. And you just uh, you just actually had the feature, you featured it in, was it in Philadelphia or was it in New York? Uh, 
So how was it received? Oh, it was it was beautifully received. Um, you know, at the end, I ended up getting a standing ovation, and people were just saying how much it um, affected them. I also had some people that were also battling crystal meth addiction that came to the premiere, and they said they gl- they're glad that someone is speaking about it, and wow. um, that made me feel really good. Um, I had um, also, um, you know, besides yourself, I had other aspects. Um, after the media reach out to me as far as um, Out Magazine and uh, The Advocate and uh, Boy Culture and uh, Logo um, even did an article on uh, Party Boy and just for it to get this overwhelming you know amount of you know um, attention nationally and internationally uh, I'm just very stoked um, about the whole ordeal and I just want to bring a voice to Crystal Meth um, addiction in the urban queer community, uh, not to negate anyone that's not in the urban queer community, yes. but specifically our kids, because not to talk about anyone else's kids, but our kids, as far as our young yes. black and Latino queer kids, you know, sometimes we come from homes where single parents, some may not have no parents at all, the grandmother may be raising, raising them, uh, some of us come from different economic backgrounds, and it may not be easy for us to spend $10,000 or $20,000 or sending one of our kids to rehab because we may not have it. Exactly. But now you have this group of lost, young, queer people of color and they're addicted and they don't know what to do and they're battling with depression. And you know, just being a young gay black person or young gay black Latino person, it's hard enough in this world, you know, let alone you're, you're battling and fighting an addiction. Right, right. You, you know, I guess the funny part to me, or, or the part that I'm just not quite understanding, when it's, when it was, especially when it comes to a lot of millennials, a lot of them actually are accepting of the LGBT community. In many cases, you get this feeling that those who are within this generation, they actually are accepting of who they are. So why would they partake into something like this? I think, and this is based on my own theory, I think that mm, I know one of the aspects of crystal meth and I speak about it um, one of the one of the falsehoods of kind of like crystal meth uh, that some people may seem may deem alluring is that you know having long bursts of energy um, being able to have a sex drive that can go on for days so um, is it really for the sex experience, really? Uh, I'm sorry. Is it really for the sex experience? A lot of it. A lot of it is for the sex experience. A lot of it is for energy. A lot of it um, is for, to some extent, um, people feel that it will give them long-lasting levels of like concentration when they're at work or doing something. But those are all like falsehoods and like illusions that people kind of like say that crystal meth does, and it can give you that kind of energy, it can give you a, a, um, a, a sexual boost, but what people don't realize, realize that it also can um, bring a sexual decline to you too. Um, a lot of young people don't realize that um, using crystal meth also, also gives you um, erectile dysfunction. Whoa. You know, um, and they're not able to use uh, <laughs> their penis or are able to get erect, um, even though they may still have the sensation of being horny or wanting to have sex, but they will not be able to ever say get up. 
Um, another one too is constantly having a um, uh, a euphoric experience of wanting to have sex at any cost. And um, this is when a lot of people who are using crystal meth go on what's called two and three day sex binges, where a lot of them will on these uh, these geo social sites and they will constantly find people having washed in days or cleaned up and they will constantly find people that want to have engaged in sex and they will go from one person's house to the next person's house to the next person's house and also to go days without eating. This is how you get a lot of people who are using crystal meth and their bodies look so skinny and so small that they, they almost look emaciated. Um, it's because they will go days without food and also the same amount of days they will go without food, they will go without sleep. You know, it's kind of funny you mentioned that because there was a uh, a friend of mine who actually did come across something very similar to this. He was, and this particular young man was with a white gay male, and with that white gay male, that particular person was bringing him around to different locations. And if anything, he was using the younger black guy to see can he also partake in uh, serving, having threesomes and he would use him as a tool. So the white guy would basically bring him around to different areas. And this is, a, you know, this is definitely something that's hitting Fort Lauderdale in Miami. And the re- it's one of the reasons why I thought this was important to actually bring this about because it definitely uh, is something that you see it, but you don't see it as often to kind of bring in enough attention to yourselves. And that's one of the reasons why I really truly adore the fact that this film was even made because I don't think there's anything out there even being promoted or talked about at all. So it's, it seems like to me this is to be the first uh, of its kind to actually discuss this particular topic. Are any of the community centers now beginning to take this on as a battle of their own as well? Yes. Um, well, two definitely. And they're the two centers that are specifically based for uh, queer people of color. Um, one's in uh, Harlem, called Harlem United. Uh, one, another one is in downtown Brooklyn, called GMAD, which stands for Gay Men of African Descent. And we also have uh, BMK, which stands for Brooklyn Men Connect. These are all um, organizations dealing with queer people of color. And they're all starting now to really have forms um, about crystal meth addiction, um, especially for the gay millennials or our young transgender um, um, queer people, and we're all they're all starting to have conversations. They're starting to have forums, uh, specifically to uh, GMAD, which stands, which stands for Gay Men of African Descent. Um, they have a medical uh, clinical manager named Chris Johnson, who is also working with some medical professionals and helping with treatment for our young. Um, brothers and sisters, uh, queer brothers and sisters of color to get help. And um, they're they're really underfunded and they're working on getting better funded for all those different programs. And so we're just hoping, like, you know, with this documentary being put out and um, all of us creating a dialogue that these young people are going to open up their doors and they're going to come out and they're going to say, I'm battling with crystal meth addiction. As, I, as actually what happened um, at the premiere, we had young people come out and speak to some of the medical um, professionals that actually came to the event and said that they want to get help. And when I saw those kind of things, it, it just really warmed my heart. 
Wow, this is this is really so far. I'm actually seeing some really good results really coming from this. Now, with the film, where else do you plan on taking it? How can people in LA? How can people in Atlanta, Miami? How can we see this film? Okay, well, as far as the film right now, um, we're working on uh, taking the film to Philly, DC, Atlanta, uh, Houston, and LA for screenings. Uh, we also have um, some promoters that are working with us that want to do a screening in uh, London. They reached out to us a few days ago. And they want to do a screening in London. But as far as being able to see the entire film, uh, we're kind of working on some distribution um, deals right now, and hopefully we can get it um, massly on the uh, digital market as far as maybe like a Hulu or Netflix or uh, um, an AOL Originals um, on that platform. So we're, we're working that out, but definitely if um, people want to get uh, more information regarding uh, Party Boy, the documentary, if you go to uh, your Facebook and you look under the page for a uh, Party Boy documentary, it should definitely pop up. It will give you some updates about Party Boy, the documentary, uh, where we're going to be showing, what we're going to be premiering. This is what we'll definitely hear about the Speaker podcast. We're going to definitely feature uh, as much information as possible. So even those who are in those neighborhoods, they can be able to kind of find out as much information as possible, where they can see it, where can they go. So we'll definitely make sure that it's on the uh, episode as well. So we want to make sure that's uh, something that everyone definitely knows about as well. You're already working on several things already. Is this something that you're going to be doing for the next several years, or do you already have another project in mind that you plan on doing after uh, Party Boy has been, the issue has really been cultivated, pretty much put it out there? Right. Well, we're definitely, um, for the next month, because I'm such such an Aries, I'm such a busybody, so once I finish with one thing, I'm like, I'm on to the next. But uh, (laughs) definitely, uh, Party Boy has a place in my heart only because it, it has affected me. Uh, with a family member, as well as um, a few good friends, as well as just being a, a, a professional gay black man of a certain age in my community, and me not having no children of my own, but wanting to be able to help those um, who may need direction. It's, it's always going to have a, a place in my heart. I'm always going to be a strong advocate uh, for um, creating a dialogue um, about addiction. Um, because there's many things that people can be addicted to alcohol. I mean, there's multiple things. But, you know, this in specific, crystal meth, is something I chose to speak on dealing with Party Boy. So, as soon as I, um, we're, we're kind of like working on the promotion and getting the distribution done with that, I want, I want that to happen as soon as possible. Um, you know, and I'm just waiting for that to be put out there into the universe so everyone can watch it and be more informed. And, um, we're actually, I'm actually in the process right now, my second documentary, and uh, the name of that documentary is called G for Generous, and it's about um, prostitution um, in the uh, queer urban community. Wow. Well, let me tell you, you are definitely tackling some topics that I would love to have you come back and definitely talk about because this definitely is something that people need to know about. These are all the subjects that are completely interesting to me to discuss. I, I am kind of curious, though, when it comes to some of the participants who are involved. In, well, let me ask this question first. How long did this project actually take? Oh, this project actually took about, as far as the actual production, um, my production company is called Rice Creative. Uh, you can go to rice.creative on IG or either Rice Creative One on Facebook. Um, but my production company, um, we started filming and planning and producing 
and laying the ground plan for everything about eight months ago. Okay, okay. Um, and, you know, once production was pretty much finished and uh, we wrapped up, we we had a premiere. So it, it literally was an eight-month project. Um, it, for me, I usually work faster, uh, but the reason why is because, you know, we're dealing with a documentary, dealing with people and their schedules, and a lot of times, like in the process of, of uh, filming this, you know, I would get a lot of participants. Um, I really wanted to hit upon uh, um, speaking to some um, lesbians, um, you know, about, you know, lesbian women of color, about their experience dealing with crystal meth. And even though it was very, very few that I was able to get in contact with, a lot of people kind of retracted at the end and didn't want it to come out. And, and I'm a producer. I work with integrity. Yes. So I'm not going to put something out just so I can get views or hits or try to get a deal off, some, off the back of somebody else's story or hurt or pain or addiction. Um, everyone I spoke to, um, I got to know uh, before filming even took place because I wanted them to feel comfortable and I wanted to make sure that they were sure about what they wanted to do. And so that right there alone took time and it took a process. Gotcha. Um, but gotcha. I think we got a really good product that could help and be beneficial. Now, with the people involved, what happened to them after the project was over? Are they, are they in terms of getting help now? Are they, are they still using, or what's the, what's the effects for the people who are part of the participant, the young men? With some of the young men, um, I think about seven in total uh, that I was able to, um, that I was able to work with and um, speak with regarding crystal meth addiction. Uh, only two out of the seven, uh, one is actually off, has been about four months, he's been off crystal meth. Uh, The other young man is still trying to go back and forth um, from rehab, and then the the other five are pretty much still selling and doing it. Wow, wow. And one of the things I wanted to tell people about, this wasn't just about, you know, exploring what's going on with these people. I also had help, um, was offered help within this project. I had a doctor, a substance abuse um, um, psychiatrist uh, named Dr. Owen Muir uh, here in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and he was also part of the project. Um, A young, you know, uh, Jewish doctor um, who was really passionate about helping um, our people, you know, our young, you know, queer millennials and um, battling crystal meth. And he he did a wonderful thing by offering his services free of charge wow. for those that didn't get insurance or didn't seek insurance uh, to try to get help. Um, and uh, I thought that was uh, incredible. That's outstanding. Um, outstanding. Wow. Very outstanding. I thought that was incredible. And um, that definitely was given to each person who was a part of the documentary, whether they decided to take it or not. Um, it definitely was put out there for that for them. Wow. Well, one thing's for sure. There's anything that we can do at Brother Speak to try to really push this film and get it get as much attention as possible, even down here to community centers. I'm all for it. I definitely think this is a subject that must be told, and I definitely your film thinks it's going to be a great tool for many people to be able to see it, understand it, and to be able to help towards this topic. So let me tell you something. I truly appreciate you for coming on the show, bringing more attention to this topic. Thank you so much, Mr. Rice. Um, is there any, now, again, I'm going to put a lot of your information directly on the site. Is there any particular place uh, that they can actually go to just kind of see the trailer? 
All right, yeah. So if you, thank you so much, Chris, by the way. I really appreciate you uh, contacting um, uh, contacting me uh, regarding this documentary and contacting my publicist. Um, I really appreciate that. And it's places and areas like Brother Speak where, you know, it can reach out to a great number of people and let them be informed about what's going on. I just want to say I really appreciate you, Chris, um, for that aspect. And as far as uh, seeing um, the trailer, you can go to Facebook and you can see the trailer. If you go to Rice Creative 1, that's Rice Creative and the number one, um, or you can either go to Party Boy Documentary on Facebook, or you can go to my production company, my production house on IG, which is rights, R-I-C-E, dot creative. And there you will see um, the link to click on the trailer for Party Boy. Wow, thank you so much. I, I definitely want to make sure I encourage a lot of people to really check that out. And again, get a more awareness of what's really happening in your community. Sometimes you see it and a lot of times you don't. It doesn't necessarily mean it's not there. So again, with creative people like Mr. Rice here to actually bring that information out is definitely one of our, we should take as our responsibility to go out there as much as possible and help those who are under such a, such a horrible drug that seems to be extremely addictive and kind of kind of hold uh, type kind of take a little bit of a hold there to kind of really get off. So let me tell you something. I'm not a big on drugs. Trust me, I'm not one of those type of party individuals. But I know a lot of people who have struggled with it. It does take a lot to get off. So. Please give your support and definitely support this film as much as possible. Thank you again so much, Mr. Rice. You really gave me a lot more insight in terms of understanding, and I hope everyone did too. All right. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you so much. Thank you, Art. This is Chris Brothers Podcast. You guys have a wonderful day.